Hello and welcome to In The Circle, an inside look at field hockey in the United States, a podcast that gets you closer to the athletes, staff, club administrators, coaches, umpires and fans of USA Field Hockey. Nice move this. Nice triangle of play. They thread it through here onto the right-hand side. Gonzalez again looks up. Well, it's a good opportunity again here for USA to take the lead and they have. Honigs is a proud sponsor of USA Field Hockey. Please go check out their website at honigs.com for all of your USA Field Hockey umpiring apparel and equipment needs. Looking in a stride here by Gregor. Oh, lovely bit of work here by Gregor. Can she get on the score sheet? Across the goal there from Gregor. Well, it's another solo goal here. So today in the circle, I am joined by uh, umpire manager and organizer for all umpire events in the US, Steve Horgan. And also co-hosting with me today is uh, women's national team player and defender, uh, Ali Campbell. Thank you for joining me. Great to be here. Excellent. Steve, if you wouldn't mind just providing uh, some information about yourself and, and your involvement within the organization, that'd be really helpful. Uh, yeah, perfect. No problem. Um, my full-time job is I'm the director of umpiring for USA Field Hockey. Um, I've also gotten involved with uh, the FIH on the, and the NCAA on a couple different levels. Uh, I do the coordinating of officials and I do the rules for the NCAA and I actually sit on the FIH rules committee, um, which is now suspended, but uh, um, uh, yeah, so that's pretty much the roles that I do. Uh, one of the reasons I was willing to take on those roles with my first job, adding the other ones on is to try to create a consistency of uh, rules and understanding, especially for here in uh, America. Excellent. Well, um, I didn't know that you were in charge of the rules. That's a new thing for me and my eyes have lit up. So I'm looking forward to this conversation. Me too. <laughs> Well, I'm really, I mean, I'm, I'm not in charge of the rules. I mean, I am on these committees and things of that nature. It doesn't really have, uh, since we all try to follow the FIH rules, doesn't really have and don't really want any power with it. It's just a matter of being able to explain the rules, the reasoning for the rules, the applications of the rules, so that everybody can understand them, umpires, coaches, fans, try to make it as simple as possible for everybody to enjoy the game. Excellent. Sure. So, Steve, tell us a little bit of how you got involved in umpiring and what your current role, and it sounds like you wear many hats. Can you try to condense it a little bit so that we can understand a little more in um, detail of what each thing in, uh, entails? Yeah. Yeah, no problem. Um, if you have about three hours and a couple drinks, I can tell you how I got involved. <laughs> but uh, I'll shorten it up. Uh, Bottom line to my involvement is hockey. with hockey is um, uh, basically uh, chasing a blonde-haired girl who was out playing hockey. And uh, uh, I picked up the game in my early 20s with her. Uh, she now still plays and plays uh, masters and coaches. Um, so we're still together. And um, so I picked it up in the early 80s. Um, uh, played for three years with a team out of Allentown, Pennsylvania, who eventually was disbanding. And in the meantime, I had taken on local high school umpiring uh, and then went to a few tournaments uh, like the JFK tournament that used to be down in um, Washington, D.C. Played right on the mall uh, in Washington, D.C., uh, where I really got my first exposure to that level of um, 
men's hockey. And uh, since the team was disbanding, I had a love for uh, the game and, and uh, umpiring. So uh, I made myself available to travel mainly to uh, the Northeast uh, Field Hockey Association, NEFA, up in New York. So I would travel from Delaware to New York um, initially almost every weekend, but then it got to be about every other weekend uh, to, to continue my umpiring. So that's pretty much how I got started um, from playing, seeing the game, meeting someone, <laughs> which happens a lot of times in life, right? <laughs> um, and then uh, it, it all went from there. So we're still a hockey family. Uh, like I said, Kathy will be going to, uh, she's playing with the Masters. She will be going to South Africa uh, when that tournament's available. Um, so that's great. And she's been coaching for 30 years. So you can see, you know, early 80s, her 30 years of coaching, my, my umpiring. Um, so for my specific role, my one with USA Field Hockey is uh, mainly to manage the uh, all aspects of umpiring, whether it's recruiting, education, uh, the rules, things of that nature for us here domestically. Um, and as you know, that, that job was created about, I think I'm in my ninth year now. Um, there, there was definitely a need for it well before that, but finally um, they saw that, you know, how things were evolving and uh, wanting to put that position together. So I've been in that role for nine years um, and it's been exciting. Met a lot of people, a lot of friends, um, really enjoy it. Love working with the people, love working with the people at USA Field Hockey. Uh, I got to be honest with you, I've never seen a more dedicated staff in all my life, even though there are some challenges and there's some things that don't necessarily, uh, or most people might not understand, but this is a very passionate group and I'm really proud to be part of that group. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, you know, I monitor the rules, um, work with the NCAA on their modifications, because as most people know, they follow the, N they follow the FIH rules but they have certain modifications because things like coaching behavior isn't in the rule book. Things, there's other, you know, uniform things and things of that nature, eligibility things that are not in the rule book. Um, so I help with them. So I meet with them. And then uh, also one of the things, the NFHS, the high school group, high school, National Federation of High Schools um, has also invited us at least the last 20 years almost to have some representation at their rules committee meetings. So even though we don't have a vote on any of their rules, uh, and I know we'll probably talk about some high school stuff a little bit later, but the, um, uh, they've come to us for guidance on trying to keep the game up to date. So uh, those are all great things and, and things that I, I really enjoy doing. And uh, again, get to meet a lot of people and um, uh, couldn't be happier with what I'm doing. Yeah, that's awesome. So we talk about international, we talk about collegiate, and we just spoke about uh, high school level. As rules begin to evolve and umpires begin to evolve, can you talk to us a little bit about how high school will be moving from halves to quarters in this upcoming season? What do you think do you see as possible pros and possible cons that could arise during this transition period? Yeah. Um... I see, I see the move, me personally, I see it as very positive, uh, not only for high schools, but for the game in general. As most people may be aware, the, uh, uh, the idea of going to four quarters at the international level uh, was mainly because of a television issue, meaning, you know, you have 35 minutes of a game, which you know, Allie, from playing, 
Uh, you had 35 minutes of a game going straight. There were no breaks. There was no advertisement. And of course, today's sports and money and uh, uh, advertising are, are all big, big issues. So um, initially, that was the reason for it. But the, the side effect to that, which has become very uh, positive, is there's, there's now a built-in timeout halfway through the half. Um, so everyone associated with the game, the players, the coaches, and the umpires, get a, a minute or two to talk about what's going on in that first 15 minutes and some adjustments that they can make that could never have been made before without trying to call a timeout. And of course, at the inter international level, there is no timeout. Um, so, and then physiologically for the players, they have a chance to get water. They have a chance to um, slow themselves down, let's call it. Um, so all of those, those are positives. Uh, we have seen since the NCAA here went to four quarters, uh, people feel the, the level of the game has gone up. Uh, strictly because of that. You have players uh, who are more well-rested, uh, better instructed. Um, uh, uh, so, so they're able to, to do things uh, with more intensity than they could. Okay, if, they, if, they, if you were playing 35 minutes, of course, if you've been out there the whole 35 minutes, you know, your last 10 minutes, you're, you're struggling. Well, here with that break, they come back out fresh as a daisy, you could say, and we have another level of hockey. So um, it's one of the things that, that people believe has been very exciting. Uh, I think it's going to be great for the high school level, uh, even though I do believe uh, in the rules they are eliminating the timeout in high school. I believe that to be the case. Um, some states may keep it in, but I believe it's being eliminated from the actual rule book. But it at least gives a team and everyone a chance to take a breath. And you take that breath and you come back out full force. And I think you're going to see some real exciting hockey this year, especially at the high school level. I personally think that the getting rid of timeouts is a positive step and a positive move forward. Um, I know it's quite ingrained in American sport, in other sports. However, it's not something that's applied anywhere else in the world. And I think the ability for a coach who is the decision maker on a timeout to affect the flow and the tempo and the, the state, the way the game is played. I, th I think that's not necessarily a great thing. Um, I mean, as a coach myself, my eyes light up with the opportunity to break down an another team's flow when they are right on top of you. Um, but I think from a, from a, a pure sport point of view, I think it's a good way to go. Yeah. I, I also think, you know, that it takes gamesmanship out of the game as well. Uh, you know, like you said, if, if my team, you know, hockey might not be considered a, a momentum sport like basketball, um, but, you know, to, to be able to break down the game like that unnaturally, I think uh, I would agree with you, Mark. Uh, I, I think it's, it's going to be a good thing. Um, and, I think, and I think spectators are going to enjoy it much more as well. Great. And I think it's going to be cool too, because then you're going to have the consistency through all different tiers as well. So everything's going to be able to kind of just flow instead of being like, well, in high school, well, in college. So I think that's a huge positive as well. Um, moving, shifting into the FIH international hockey, what do you think about the current FIH movement to incorporate opposite gender umpires on the field? <laughs> yeah, this is one that, uh, well, over the last four years, I believe, the FIH has been looking to 
uh, minimize their costs, especially when you have men and women tournaments together. So they've actually made this move a little bit earlier with uh, the technical staff, uh, the folks keeping the score on the sideline, the, the technical person out in front managing the sidelines. So they've been on that for a couple years. Uh, just recently here, I think this last pro league season was the first time that they actually had women doing men's matches. And there were a couple men doing some of the women's matches. Now, uh, for me, I think it's a positive move. I mean, let's be real about it. How many men do you have doing the WNBA? You have women now doing the, the, the men's NBA. Um, you know, softball, uh, football now has female officials. Um, I think this is all a great step, a great step forward. Um, there, you know, there were a few concerns about hockey with the speed, uh, but I got to tell you, the women hit the ball and throw the ball almost as far as the men now. Maybe years ago it wasn't that way, but today, you know, things are up to speed. Um, the fitness level for umpires are by age, not necessarily by gender. So everyone has a certain fitness level to meet. So if you're meeting the fitness level, you should be able to do a men's game or a women's game. Uh, I think it's a very, very positive move, um, especially with the women coming on to the men. Uh, even here in the States, we know we there's been more of an influx of men officiating matches. But, um, you know, and then, you know, one of the struggles is there was some personal preference, like some women may not want to do the men. Um, we, we've had that discussion at the FIH level and nobody's being forced to do anything that they do not want to do because you have to have a comfort level when you're out there. But I think overall, um, and of course, this was the first season with the Pro League uh, having that. And of course, it was um, uh, a shortened because of this unfortunate situation. Um, so uh, I don't know how much information we're going to get on how well it's being received. As of right now, from what we can see, it's a positive step. We haven't heard any complaints about the female umpires and the females haven't complained about the male umpires. So firmly believe it's a step in the right direction and uh, hopefully it'll be able to continue uh, once things keep uh, open up again. Yeah, I think it's a positive as well. And I think it's interesting because I know what during collegiate, when I was playing at Maryland, we had male and female umpires interchangeably, whatever weekend it may be. So I think transitioning that through the FIH more consistently, I think that's going to be an awesome move because I think it allows for just, you know, more mixing and matching and figuring out like who works best with who. And I think it's a huge step and a really positive for umpiring in the international stage. Yeah. And, and even if, you know, from a management standpoint, um, the, the most recent tournaments have had crossover with umpire managers even though there might be four umpire managers at an event, if you were to, uh, you know, an event that had men and women together, um, everybody would, would work together no matter what the games were. Even at the most recent World Cup, the test event in Tokyo, um, the, uh, the umpire managers worked with both genders. And it, it definitely brings a, a different and positive dynamic to the discussions and the outcomes and the results you're looking for based on people that you're talking to, different experiences and um, uh, different uh, perspectives. So very, very positive. Sure. And even as a player approaching a male umpire, female umpire, they also give different perspectives too of like where they like sometimes maybe a male will be down 
in a lower position or a female will be in a, she's shorter so she can see, you know, I don't know. I'm just trying to think of a silly kind of situation, but it's interesting to hear like from a male's perspective, a female's perspective of a situation. And I think that's going to add a uniqueness too, as well. I think it'll be a very positive. Yeah, I agree with you, Allie. No, without doubt, uh, a very positive move. Um, let's get into some nitty gritty. Let's have a, let's compare with some other sports. Um, can you identify sports that you think have the best video review process and why you think that's the case? Well, uh, of course I'm a little partial to hockey, but, um, uh, you look at them all and I, and I guess with any video process, the, the key is the number of cameras. Um, the process itself, the process itself, I have to say, I really like the way hockey does it because it is controlled by the players. And what I mean by that is at the international level and the, the NCAA level that we have here, the players are the ones that make the judgment as to whether something was miscalled. Not somebody from the sideline, not somebody looking at a jumbotron, okay? I mean, football, they watch the replay, then they throw the flag out, okay? This is true. Uh, if, if you want to talk about a game being uh, controlled by the players, uh, I think this is it. And with, with the video review that we have, of course, you know, with, with the two umpires we have uh, and, and the ball that just could have touched a foot or touched the wrong stick, there's always one or two, two people closer to the play than the umpire, and that is the players. They don't have to turn to the coach and go, what do you think, coach, should I do this? Okay? The onus is on them. They're so, so – and you'll find that in, in many times, even their perspectives are off because a player who's five yards away thinks it hits the attack's foot. The umpire doesn't call it, so even the players are wrong sometimes, which is fine. It's just all part of the game. But I, I do like that process with hockey that I don't know of any other sport that has it actually done by the, uh, the players. I, I, mean, would baseball, argue, I would argue that um, tennis has their review ah, system yeah, significant, okay. would have it significantly better. Yeah. Um, the main reason being the nature of tennis, right, is much shorter. So therefore, um, the feedback can be provided quicker. I would say if I were to suggest one improvement that the, the review process in hockey would need to be expedited a little bit. I think back to the games in, um, in Argentina where reviews happen and we're looking at two, maybe three minutes of stoppage, um, which is too much. I, I really like the, the brevity that the tennis reviews happen. It's literally instant. It barely breaks the flow of the game. And I think, I know the nature of the sports are different, but I think that's, uh, I would say there, they've got it right. A sport that you're not going to know a huge amount of, but cricket um, has that similar thing where the, the power is in the player's hands yeah. um, and the, the review process is significantly quicker. Yeah, the one, the one thing with, that, that makes hockey a little bit different and is uh, the decisions aren't black and white. Meaning in tennis, yes, they see whether the ball's in or out. That's great. That's, it's a great thing. It needs to be there. But the players still control that. If they choose not to or they, they think it was actually in, the game continues. So that's a good aspect of the game. So I would agree that their, you know, uh, their video reviews seem to be spot on. They're relatively short. From a hockey standpoint, when you have to deal with uh, advantage or um, you know, 
was it a true advantage? Uh, was there something else that happened beforehand? Things of that nature. Makes it a little bit more complicated. But the thing that I will say that I do like and, and um, about the video process with hockey, especially at the international level, and I think they're going to, they're, they're actually trying to find ways to do this better on a, on a uh, domestic level at the NCAA, is that the fans are engaged with it. The actual voice of the umpire asking the question goes up to the video review umpire, okay? And then some of that interaction, once the question is asked, the whole stadium knows what was asked. Okay, so then they play the Jeopardy song or they do whatever they do. And then, um, you know, when the answer comes back, the officials in the video booth are to tell the television folks, I have an answer. And then they're not supposed to give it back until the whole thing is queued up so that the whole uh, stadium can hear what's going on. So I think that's great for the fan uh, engagement of the process. Uh, the one thing uh, that most people don't know about video review that can be uh, 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 challenging sometimes and very frustrating to be quite honest is when the video review goes up the television folks have certain replays that they will play it's not necessarily exactly what the umpire is seeing and the umpire may have other angles so from one video people's perception of reality is the ball hit the foot and and I actually to be quite honest, I have a, a still pictures of this, of looking at it from the end, from the behind the goal, it looks like the ball hit a player's foot. You look at it from 90 degrees, the ball actually missed by six inches. So the variations in the cameras is a big issue with our game. And that's why I started by saying, you know, the more cameras, the better. So the professionals, you know, and those with money like football, soccer, uh, professional uh, American football, basketball, things of that nature that have probably in upwards of 20 to 30 camera angles uh, easily to um, uh, look at these things. Um, so, you know, uh, I, I would I, argue that soccer are making an absolute hash of it. And I, I, read, <laughs> I read today that they're actually looking at um, the, the VAR for the Premier League is looking to go, which I think is a, well, I'm, I'm not sure what I think, but yeah, whatever's happening at the moment uh, isn't right. What about in terms of, are there any things in other sports, a refereeing tool or something that you feel could help within, within field hockey? Is there anything you'd like to steal from another sport and, and implement within our game? Well, the one, the one thing, you know, to try to get accuracy of calls, okay, the bottom line is you need more people, okay? So just like uh, professional basketball, when I was growing up, it was two officials. They've gone to three. The uh, football, or soccer rather, okay, has gone to a referee, two side judges, and now uh, inline judges, or uh, what do they call them, goal line goal line uh, officials. Yeah, they do right? in the Champions League. Basically, you basically have, you know, five officials on a soccer game. Uh, you know, American football has what, seven, eight, whatever they have. So the more eyes you can put on it. And um, I did understand that a number of years ago, there were some trials with this of trying to have um, uh, an official in the center. And since we're all players here, I think it would be absolutely crazy to try to have an umpire in the center of a hockey match. Uh, the way that the ball moves. Um, but I, I understood that was tried. And then there was also a process that I understood someone was trying to rotate officials similar to the way basketball does uh, and somewhat of the way uh, 
lacrosse does, but lacrosse, they change after a goal. So there's plenty of time to change. In hockey, we have a few less goals. So when would you actually change and where would you be able to put everybody to, um, uh, to uh, uh, be able to see things properly? Uh, I don't know that three officials, it would be great for hockey. Four would be. We could definitely do something with four. Uh, but unfortunately, um, you know, with our advantage rule the way that it is, trying to have two or three people decide whether an advantage can be played or not is, is um, almost impossible because everybody's perspective and their angle of the play is different. So I might be able to think, that advantage will be okay as I'm looking from behind, but the official in front looking at the play coming towards them, okay, is going, no way, I'm calling the penalty corner. We're not going to play through it. And to have that crossover could be very problematic for our game. Um, I would like to see more people out there. It's just developing the dynamic of making sure that the game can hold its integrity the way that it does now um, uh, to try to, uh, 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 get, get more calls correct. Um, you know, it is a fast game. The, the, the biggest thing with us right now um, is, is the fitness levels of umpires. We understand that many are getting older. It's why the FIH has gone to a very stringent fitness plan so that umpires are not far off the pace of players, should not be far off the pace of players so that they can be in a position to make these decisions. But, um, you know, all of that being said, you know, it'd be nice to have some more eyes out there if you could. And that's, of course, why the video referral comes in at every sport um, to try to to try to see if there is a way to try to get the calls correct. Sure, sure. And we're talking about things we would add, things maybe that we're not the biggest fans of. What do you think something hockey does right? And what do you think that other short other sports, excuse me, should be looking at field hockey saying we want to implement that into our sport? Wow. Um, that's a tough one. Um, thought about it a little bit. Um, I think that the, the idea that we, meaning hockey, uh, have adjusted to the point of, um, and let's just use the carding system. And you know, as an international player, Allie, the cards are coming out much sooner than they ever did. Are you saying that I'm a player that gets a lot of cards? I did not say that. Did not oh, okay. With her tackling. Players, <laughs> <understand>. <laughs> hey, ball body never, never both. That's uh, what I was told. I would, I would never insinuate that, Allie. Um, uh, that the cards come out sooner. Um, so the game gets settled in better now than it ever did. It used to be, uh, you know, telling a player, stop that, don't do that that piece of the game. Now that the cards are coming out, the players get it much, so much sooner. They can make their adjustments as necessary and the game flows much nicer now. Somebody does something silly, of course, they're going to go off or they, they're going to uh, uh, be, be reprimanded with the way that the system is now. So I got to say, I do like that process when it's applied properly, okay? Um, so that would probably be one thing that I think uh, uh, hockey does right. Um, I like, I guess the other piece would be um, the danger rule that we have. Um, I know a lot of it has to do with slide tackles. It has to do with the ball's trajectory and things of that nature. I think there's a number of other sports that should, that I think 
don't necessarily have those type of rules that could put their players in jeopardy for being injured. And I think, I think that's one of the things we do right. Even though it's a subjective decision, it is not black and white, but it's definitely something within our game that keeps safety at the number one priority of making a lot of decisions. No, agreed. And moving on, and right, I've got a book here of things that I want to address within this next question, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it to you first and then, uh, then I, can, I can chalk my way through it. Um, would you mind talking through, if you could, given the choice, there could be one rule change that you'd implement within field hockey, what would it be? Wow. Um, I think right now, I feel that the way that our penalty corners are, I think we are just one catastrophic injury away from full change in those. And um, I mean, at, okay, and I'll just give you the best example I can is uh, as the rules person and the, the director of umpiring with USA Field Hockey, I get these questions all the time. And how much, I, I got this from a, from a parent who, um, and, and there's, some, there's some credence to it, they said, how much sense does it make for a team to have a goalkeeper fully kitted and then you set up a play where four other players come out at full speed and the ball's coming at them 60, 70, 80 miles an hour with no protective equipment whatsoever? Didn't make a whole lot of sense. So, you know, the injury, you know, the injuries, and I think most of us feel, and I think the statistics would show, most of the injuries happen on a penalty corner. Um, not a hundred percent of them. There are other things that happen, but you know, if there was a way to manipulate that a little bit, um, I know there was, there was an attempted study from the FIH. Uh, it never, it never took off because of certain agreements, uh, where they were actually going to, um, have a situation where you would eliminate the 18 inch rule by the ball coming outside of the dotted line, then having to be brought into the circle to score. The idea with that was if the ball came out that far, you wouldn't have that congestion in front of the goal. Teams would spread out. You'd be able to play more hockey and you would still be an advantage to the attacking team because of the distance that the team had to come to come back and defend it. So it would be a change in the uh, processes. Um, but I think that if anything, you know, just, just, that's the one piece of our game that's continually looked at when it comes to injury. And now we know they're putting masks on, which led to other rules. They're putting elbow pads on now, gloves, things of that nature as defenders just for their uh, own personal protection. That's another whole dynamic uh, of the game. If you don't have these people rushing out and the game is spread out, it would be more general play with a few less defenders coming back. And, you know, the, the need for a mask might come up, might not be necessary. Um, the only other one that, that with that, that, that scares me to death, to be quite honest with you, is when a player is being a post player to protect the goal next to or behind the goalie with absolutely no equipment on whatsoever, and the ball being hit at them or drag flicked at them at a rate of 70 miles an hour plus in some cases. Um, if there was a way to eliminate the allowance for that, um, I think that might not be a bad thing. It, it would also, in my mind, probably up the goals a little bit um, because you'd have to either reach in that area with your stick, 
There wouldn't be an extra person there waiting for a shot to come at them. And as you guys have seen, I'm sure you've seen it, players ducking out of the way at the last second, the ball going in the back of the net. Um, you know, just getting hit by that is, again, could be catastrophic. So uh, safety being number one um, would be a couple things that I might look at. No, I agree. I, obviously, player safety is of paramount importance. I think penalty corners are one of the most brilliant parts of our game. I, I would I, I hesitate to have too much change on there, um, but obviously player safety does dictate that. Um, I guess my argument to that parent who goes back and says, what's the sense? My argument would be, what do they do in baseball? Are we now saying that a baseball batter has to have a chest pad and a face mask like a, like a catcher does? Because the ball's going to be thrown at the the batter in the same way that the, the catcher does so there are times where we can't always apply the same rules to the same position that would be my argument um i feel uh, and as it's so deeply ingrained in american culture i feel that that would uh, that would be something that would be instantly rejected um in terms of changes i'd like to see and i'd really like to hear your opinion it's uh, this is i've got a big smile on my face while i'm asking these <laughs> questions um Perfect. One things that I struggle with personally, the five yards, the free hits within the five yard is one that I find too subjective, too mucky, too gray at the moment. Has it gone three and a half yards? Has it gone six yards? Um, is the ball stop? It, for me, it, there needs to be a lot more, a look and a, a greater amount of clarity over that issue. Yeah, uh, I would agree. Uh, in a, in a, um, I'll say a euphoric world, if we knew the ball went exactly five meters or wasn't five meters, then it becomes a black and white decision. Um, that's one piece of it. The, the more difficult piece of it uh, is with the allowance now of shadowing where you take the ball and I'm allowed to run with you that first five meters without interfering with you. The nature of the subjective decision of what is influencing and what is not is the biggest part of the problem. Um, I believe it's the biggest part of the problem. Um, the, the black and white of the three meters, five meters movement of the ball. You know, one of the things that we teach here is for umpires to make sure it is five meters. Okay. We would rather see it go. Six and four. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, because there's a grave advantage to it going four, okay? And that's the biggest thing. And, and I totally agree with you, Mark, because the defense doesn't even know what the umpire's thinking as to when it is five meters. They don't know when to step in. They don't know when to block tackle. They don't know, um, you know, so then they have to go six or seven meters to be sure. And by then, the attacker's doing something else with the ball more to their advantage there's also very, an, very there's, difficult i would i would absolutely agree with you there's also an imbalance between the uh, crime and punishment the crime is not knowing what's four and a half yards and what's six yards and the punishment is probably a penalty corner and a possible yellow card it doesn't seem to make sense there's a there's a definite imbalance to me the other one while i've got you i'm gonna keep peppering you um okay. overheads I, I think they are just i can see ali dancing they are even at best, they are poorly blown, and I think the new, the new things about the whoever's under the ball with twenty meters left of trajectory, it's again so grey, so not clear, um, and so blown differently based on region, based on umpire, based on country. 
Well, that's why the, the FIH briefing that came out uh, tried to put it, and that, that, that came out from in conjunction with the Rules Committee and the Competitions Committee, or the Officials Committee, rather. Rules Committee, Officials Committee. Um, and it tried to make it as clear as possible. If you don't put a guidance in it, okay, um, I, I would agree with you. The subjectivity of, even though they say the last 20 meters, one of the things we've been teaching here for years is to break that aerial into four quarters so that when the ball hits its apex, Okay, between there and the beginning of the fourth quarter of the arc, you're prepared to make a decision so you can make it at the beginning of the fourth quarter of the arc so that the ball doesn't drop a team between two players and you're picking up the pieces. The biggest thing with this um, domestically is umpires blow it way too late. We actually just posted something on our behind the whistle with a, with a number of clips. Uh, men's matches um, probably has... 10 or 12 aerials that some were blown, some weren't. Uh, try to give people the idea of the concept of this. Um, yes, it is very subjective, just like the five meters, okay? Um, and the idea now is to uh, put the onus on the attack, okay? So that you have to make sure that you're in a position that the ball can fall to you over that last part of the throw without being interfered by the defense. You can't expect the defense not to play. You can't expect a goalkeeper not to attempt to, to prevent things from coming at them. Um, so the bottom line was uh, try to give a guidance on when to blow. Because at that 20 meter, the idea is at that 20 meter mark, at that 20 meter mark, mark, <laughs> at that 20 meter mark, um, uh, the whistle should, either you're playing on or you're blowing the whistle. If you're playing on, you've made the assessment that it's, it's safe, somebody's clear in the open and you go on. If it's not, it should be blown at that point, not waiting any later till two sticks get into it or it gets down close to the players where the sticks come up. Again, the safety factor, they do not want to be picking up the pieces. We've all seen some videos of some great goals being scored right in front of goalkeepers with a tip. Well, that is just one step away from a whole collision which is what the rules committee is trying to avoid. So the onus is going to be more on the attack team to get their player into a well-opened area to be able to throw the ball um, uh, on their attack. No, I agree. And final one, Steve, I promise. It's okay. <laughs> please, please, can you, this, I came to this country three years ago thinking I knew hockey and then I ran into overtime and, oh. I, and I, I, it, my mind was simply blown. Can you explain to me overtime? Like, I, I just don't understand why there is a whole new game created um, when everywhere else in the world a shootout or um, penalty flicks is the, the option. Yeah. Um, well, if you remember, and I can remember back to, to my early days, uh, the first international tournament I ever went to was two 35-minute halves, two full 15-minute overtime periods, and then went to penalty strokes. So the evolution um, of that um, has to do with television time now as well. Um, but, you know, if, and that's something to be considered because your players are ready to go for 60 minutes now, right? And then if they have to go another 10 or 15 physiologically, you know, it's like, well, we're fitter than your team, so we're going to end up winning this thing, right? And everybody's putting their 100% in. Um, 
you know, it's it's basically what I found here, Mark. It's a it's a personal uh, uh, decision, and many of the domestic institutions and conferences and all they don't like to have ties so in turn they want an outright winner it's easy to calculate we won whether it's on shootouts uh the overtimes um you know there was a lot of trials around the world as well there was a trial a number of years back of going down to nine players there's been some areas i i want to say it might be australia in one of their leagues they start taking a player off after every so often. Um, so there's a lot of variations, but it's basically a personal, personal, uh, you know, league decision. Um, I don't really have a, 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 an opinion one way or the other. I think if you want to play the best hockey and then going straight to a shootout, I think is a very good idea. I like the shootouts to be quite honest with you better than the penalty strokes. Um, it's a bit more exciting. Um, and if you need to decide a game that way, okay, fine. But I think players too much, the players put so much of their heart and soul into that 60 minutes, okay, that to force them to go any further than that, uh, I, I think is, is a dangerous precedent. Yeah, and I agree. And I think back to the college game where potentially you're playing doubleheader weekend, Saturday, Sunday, both games go to overtime. You're asking a player to, to potentially play an extra 30 minutes of, of hockey and therefore the, the increased risk of injury, if we're going to go back down the injury route, the increased risk of injury, um, and also the fact that it's just a lottery of what happens. It's, it's a, it, to me, it was just like a crazy thing that happened. Um, and that doesn't happen... It doesn't happen anywhere else in the world. It's yeah. about, it, well, you'll I mean. see. You'll see. And if you if you actually watch a number of the, and I'll use the NCAA where they go down to seven v seven, how many times does that turn out to be a one on one with the goalkeeper with someone on a breakaway? Why not just do the shootouts? Yeah, absolutely. Pretty much, pretty much the same thing. Hey, every day's a learning day. I learned something new then, and uh, yeah, it's, like you say, it's uh, it's if that's the way some people want to do it, that's the way they can do it. But uh, yeah, for sure, um, yeah, it certainly made me smile. Um, Steve, thank you very much for your time. It's been great to get a little insight, to get a have a chat, and and get a little look into the way the the game is blown, both domestically and internationally. And Ali, thank you again for for joining me and and, and chatting with Steve. Yeah, it's a great pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Mark. No worries, guys. Stay safe, and I will speak soon. Okay. Thank All you. the best. Honigs is a proud sponsor of USA Field Hockey. Please go check out their website at honigs.com for all of your USA Field Hockey umpiring apparel and equipment needs. Still get much more here. USA Paul Singh gets the second goal. Number 18, Paul Singh has got the second goal for USA. Thank you for joining us on In The Circle. Come back next week for another look inside USA Field Hockey.